0: He, <laughs> Listening Society, A podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of
1: time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a suggestion from our mysterious listener, Mark. Mark writes... I'm a brand new listener. Really love the podcast. I'm a huge fan of the Shadow, especially the Pulps, but also the radio show. I like how the radio version does a lot of debunking and has more eerie tales. Can't wait for the next Shadow episode. Mark went on to recommend several episodes of
0: the Shadow, and from that list we chose The Case of the Flaming Skull. As Mark mentioned, the Shadow series was based on the popular Street and Smith pulp magazine of the same name. As portrayed in the Pulps, the Shadow was a dark of Avenger clad in a black cloak, wide-rimmed hat, and a blood-red scarf utilizing multiple secret identities and a network of loyal agents. The shadow terrorized the underworld, dealing out his own brand of justice, usually fired from the barrels of his twin forty fives. The
2: character was toned down for the radio, though. He traded his firearms for the ability to cloud men's minds. Instead of an army of well-trained operatives, he relied on his friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane. His one and only secret identity was Lamont Cranston, amateur criminologist
1: and wealthy young man about town. The Shadow debuted on the Mutual Broadcasting System September 26, 1937, starring Orson Welles as the Shadow and Agnes Moorhead as Margot Lane. Welles played the role with a brooding intensity, hinting at the more adult shadow of the pulps. When Welles left the role in 1938, he was replaced by veteran radio actor Bill Johnstone. The older actor brought maturity and a sense of authority to the voice of the Shadow, while at the same time revealing a lighter side to Lamont Cranston,
0: particularly in his interactions with Margot this humanizing of the shadow continued with the casting of Broadway actor Brett Morrison in 1943 he brought a youthful jocularity to Lamont Cranston and a policeman like sense of law and order to the shadow his first season on the show featured an emphasis on mad science and horror starting with his inaugural story the gibbering things Morrison left
2: the shadow at the end of 1943 but returned a year later He was the last and longest-running voice of The Shadow, remaining in the role until the series ended in 1954. But who played The Shadow during Morrison's brief departure? Two men, actually. John Archer and
1: Steve Courtley. John Archer was predominantly a screen actor, appearing in B-movies and the occasional supporting roles in major productions like White Heat with James Cagney. In addition to The Shadow, Archer's voice was also heard on radios The FBI and Peace
0: and War, and the daily soap
1: opera... Amanda of
0: Honeymoon Hill. The majority of Archer's shadow scripts were written by comic book and science fiction writer Alfred Bester, whose superhero aesthetics suited Archer's square jawed action hero approach to the role. Many of Bester's scripts recycled elements from stories he penned for DC Comics. The Case of the Flaming Skull, the story you're about to hear, was based on Bester's 1941 Batman story, The Strange Case of Professor Radium. In turn, Bester would later lift material from his 1949 shadow script, The Man with No Face, for use in his Hugo Award-winning 1952 novel, The Demolished Man. Archer left the series in April 1945 after one season. His replacement, Steve
2: Courtley, filled in for eight episodes before Morrison returned permanently to the role— Courtley was a stage and radio actor whose brief appearance and sudden exit from the shadow is shrouded in mystery. According to our research, none of his episodes survive, or if they do, they're not in general circulation.
1: The surviving copy of The Case of the Flaming Skull is from Mystery Playhouse, an anthology series created in 1944 by the American Forces Network for the express purpose of entertaining our boys overseas. The show was hosted by Peter Lorre and featured rebroadcast stories from other popular mystery and suspense shows of the day, including The Whistler, Inner Sanctum, Mr. and Mrs. North, and of course, The Shadow.
0: And now, let's listen to The Case of the Flaming Skull, starring John Archer as the Shadow, first broadcast March 18, 1945. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see
2: is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices.
3: flaming skull floats through the room and a man disappears. A fortune in jewels stolen while Leona watched, yet he could see nothing but the skeleton fingers. Crime is rampant, but there is no clue. Nothing but a flaming skull. Weeps, this is Peter Lorre, back again to open the doors of the Mystery Playhouse. And tonight, we have a guest appearance of our friend, the Shadow, one of the most fascinating characters in the business of crime detection. He's the man who is always getting shot in his invisibility. But in this adventure, the case of the flaming skull. The shadow is nearly made permanently invisible by a skeleton. (laughs)
4: Today's drama, the case of the flaming skull. A late afternoon thunderstorm breaks over the city. As people run for cover, two men collide as they dash into a small doorway. Oops. Oh, sorry. Oh, that's all right. Cranston. Lamont
5: Cranston. Why, it's Steve Crane. Hello, Steve. Lamont, if this isn't the weirdest coincidence... Haven't seen you for ages, Steve. How's the promising young chemist? Lamont, listen... Last I heard, you had a swell job doing research for the Guild Labs. Still with him? Yes,
4: Lamont... Married? Yes. Lamont, listen to me. You won't believe it, but I was on my way over to see you. Lamont, I'm in a jam. What's the matter, Steve? I've been walking around all day. I've been going out of my mind. Then I remembered that you used to study occult science and all that, and... What kind of a jam needs occult scientists? Lamont, please don't laugh at me, but... I'm going to die. <laughs> we all are, sooner or later. But we don't all get special announcements. What? You did? Yes. When? How? Well, it was last night. I haven't been sleeping well lately. I've been nervous and high-strung. been working pretty hard in a new thorium synthesis. Yes? About 2 o'clock this morning, I got up for a drink of water. I went into the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and then... Go on. I saw a flaming skull staring at me. What? In the darkness, I saw a hideous flaming skull grinning at me, pale and flickering, burning a dull green in the blackness. Yes? It was a terrible shock. I suppose I must have passed out. When I came to it, it was gone. But I knew, Lamont. I knew it was a warning. Steve, you're tired,
5: overworked. You kid was a presentiment. Lamont, it was a warning. It was a hallucination. Now, pay attention to Uncle Lamont. You want my advice? Yes, of course. All right, here's, uh, here's the address of a friend of mine, Dr. Neil Harrison. He specializes in your kind of case. Too much work and too much imagination. Now, you go see him at once. Then and,
4: and you don't think that skull was... My
5: dear Steve, I speak now as an occult specialist. The most horrible presentiment in the world can be dispelled with, with bicarbonate of soda and two weeks in the country. <laughs> oh, hello. Is it...
6: it, it... Mm, yes? This is Helen Grant, Steve's wife.
5: Oh, yes, Mrs. Grant.
6: Oh, Mr. Cranston, can you come over to our house right away?
5: Come over to your... Well, what time is it, Mrs. Grant?
6: Oh, it's five o'clock, almost dawn. I know it's an unusual request, Mr. Cranston.
5: But... Oh, anything wrong?
6: Yes. With Steve? Yes.
5: What's happened? He... He's been kidnapped. <laughs>
6: Oh, Mr. Cranston, I'm so glad you're here. I've been half out of my mind. No, no, no.
5: Take it easy, Mrs. Grant. Uh, suppose I come in and you tell me all about it. Uh,
6: yes, yes, come in. Uh, please sit down, Mr. Cranston.
5: Oh, thank you. Now, uh, Mrs. Grant, from the beginning.
6: Well, it, it was about midnight. I'd gone to bed and been asleep for a few hours, and suddenly I woke. I heard a sound an awful sound. What was it? Well, it, it was a sobbing, crying noise. It seemed to come from Steve's bedroom across the hall. What did you do? Well, I got up and went to the door of my room. I opened it. It was dark in the house. And in the blackness, I saw... I saw... Yes, what? A flaming skull.
4: You were sure of that?
6: Yes. Yes, it was a little distance away. It was coming out of Steve's room, floating in the air. It burned with a green flickering flame. It was ghastly. What did you do? I screamed. Then I faded. When I came to, it was gone. I rushed into Steve's room to tell him and Steve was gone too. I see. All his clothes were in his room. Everything. He hadn't packed and left. It, it's obvious he was taken away. Taken by that horrible skull. I, I didn't know what to do. Last I remembered, he'd said something about you being an expert in the account and weird things. So I called you.
5: Well, I'm glad you did, Mrs. Grant.
6: But what are we going to do, Mr. Grant?
5: No, 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 don't worry. We're going to find Steve.
7: About it, Miss Lane. Is Cranston fooling you with this ghost story?
8: I don't know yet, Commissioner. I want to hear the rest of the story. Well,
5: that's all there is. First, Grant came to me with a story about a flaming skull. Then Mrs. Grant.
8: Was it kidnapping Lamont?
5: Oh, perhaps. I checked Steve's room. All his clothes were there, his shoes, everything. What Most is that important is. Well, his identification papers were there, licenses, checkbooks, everything. Doesn't prove much, except that Grant didn't walk out of the house voluntarily. A man might cook up an ingenious plan like this to leave his wife, but uh, he doesn't leave all of his money, papers, and important documents behind.
7: Yeah, that's right.
8: How about the sobbing, crying noise Mrs. Grant heard?
7: Well, I couldn't
5: find anything to account for that.
7: So we're left with exactly this. A guy disappears, and he and his wife tell a crazy yarn about flaming skulls, and we're supposed to believe that said skull kidnapped the man.
5: That explanation will do until a better one comes along, Commissioner. Got a better one?
7: Mm, Sure, I got a better one. The obvious one. Grant and his wife cooked up the story to beat the insurance company. He isn't insured. Then he's trying to get publicity for some crazy invention he made. He was a research chemist working for the Guild
5: Labs. He made no invention, and if he did, it would belong to the Guild Company and not to him.
7: I don't believe you or Grant or his wife, and I don't believe in flaming skulls either. You can chew on that for a while. Weston. Yeah, yeah. What? Say that again. Well, I'll be... Okay, okay, coming right over.
8: What is it, Commissioner? You look startled,
7: to say the least. That phone call has just dropped a bomb in my lap, Miss Lane. Now let's have the explosion. Adam Edwards, the broker, has just reported a burglar in his home. $15,000 in cash was stolen.
8: Why, Commissioner, a $15,000 robbery is no explosion. Yeah?
7: Well, maybe you'll get a bang out of this. The dough was stolen by a flaming skull. Mr. Edwards, I'm Commissioner Weston. Oh, yes, pleased to meet you, Commissioner. Uh, this is Lamont Cranston, Miss you How do you do? I, do, do, I do. do? I brought them along because they happen to be interested in flaming skulls, toe. Oh, you've seen the operation, Mr. Cranston? Mm, yes. Uh, suppose you let us have the story, Mr. Edwards.
4: Well, it's quite simple and quite frightening. I was awakened this morning about three o'clock by the sound of a body moving about in my study. Uh-huh. It's a well-known fact that I keep large sums of cash in the house... I assumed that some ill-advised burglar was after my money. Why ill-advised? Well, I'm a crack shot, Mr. Cranston. I have a license to keep a revolver in the house. I immediately arose and got the gun and tiptoed toward the study. And then? I opened the door very carefully. And in the darkness, I saw a flaming skull hovering over my desk. While flaming skeleton hands rifled the drawers.
7: Oh, so now a pair of hands are added to the skull. Pretty soon, we'll get the whole skeleton. What did you do, Mr.
4: Edwards? Well, I... (laughs) hadn't lost all my nerve. I I fired, but I'm afraid my aim wasn't very good. Yes? Instantly, the skull and hands rushed off through the darkness. I tried to follow. I, I heard the thing blundering around the far side of the study, and before I could catch up, it was gone. And so was my money. That's all.
7: That's too much for me. What is this, a conspiracy? Are you all trying to pull my leg? You
4: don't believe my story, Commissioner. Frankly, no. I see. All right, come this way, please. I have something to show you. Why? You see, I'm an amateur photographer. I had this closet fitted up as a dark room. The door to it is right next to the study door. I evidently the flaming skull blundered into the closet by mistake. I still don't see what all
7: this has got to do with a skull.
4: I want you to come into the dark room, please. Huh? I'm sorry, but this. Red light here is all the illumination I can give you. It's enough, Mr. Edwards. Go ahead. Now, when the intruder came into this room last night, he apparently dislodged one of my unexposed plates and knocked it into the developer tray. Now, I want you to look at this plate, Commissioner.
7: Tell me what you see on it. Ha! Cranston!
8: It's, it's a skeleton hand. This is a fine thing, Mr. Cranston. A fine thing indeed.
5: Oh, what's eating you, Margot?
8: What's eating me? It's a question I've been wanting to ask you. You sit around like a bump on a log all day.
5: I was thinking. No, worrying about the flaming skull.
8: Suddenly, at 7 o'clock tonight, you announce we're going for a drive. Where?
5: To visit a friend. Why? To pick up a clue on this case.
8: Who's the friend?
5: Uh, Dr. Neil Harrison. I sent Steve Grant to see him yesterday afternoon. It's just possible that Steve might have said something to Dr. Harrison that would give us a clue.
8: Then all that worrying, I mean, thinking, this afternoon didn't help. No inspiration?
5: It certainly did help, Margot, but right now the fire of inspiration needs a little more coal.
8: To be shoveled on by Lamont Cranston Stoker.
5: No, no. Lamont Cranston Shadow.
7: Next patient, please. Yeah, that's odd. Waiting room's empty. I could have sworn I heard a patient come in. (laughs) Who's that? Your patient,
5: Dr. Harrison.
7: Patient? Where?
5: An invisible patient, doctor.
7: Why, this is absurd. It's some trick. Who are you?
5: Men call me the shadow. The shadow? You have heard of the shadow, Dr. Harrison. The shadow seeks only one thing. The truth. The truth about what? The truth about all things. The truth about Steve Grant.
7: Grant? Oh, yes, yes.
5: He came to you yesterday?
7: Yes, uh, Lamont Cranston sent him. You treated him? No, I did not.
5: Why not? The truth, Dr. Harrison.
7: Yes, I'll tell the truth. I could not treat him. He was... Dr. Harrison!
5: (sighs) He's dead. Shot by somebody from outside that window.
7: Right here, Margot.
8: I, I heard shot while I was waiting in the car. I, I,
5: Someone fired through the window while the shadow was questioning Dr. Harrison. The doctor's dead. Now, come on. We've got to locate that killer if we can.
8: But it's pitch dark, Lamont. Ah,
5: careful, careful. He must have run off this way.
8: Do, do you know who killed the doctor?
5: No, oh, I'm afraid we'll never find out now.
8: Lamont.
5: Yes, Margot. Look.
8: Look, running down the street. Way up there. Oh, Lamont.
5: Yes, I see it, Margot.
8: It, it's a flaming skeleton.
3: Oh, yes, the shadow will be back in just a moment. You know, one of the most mysterious things about this program is just what this announcement is doing in the middle of it. You don't have to be the shadow to figure out the answer. They just want somebody to say that if you write your letters B-mail, they'll get there faster, take less space on crowded transports, and make more folks at home happy because you can write shorter letters, but more of them. So for fast communication with home, V mail. And now, back to the shadow.
7: Why did I ever meet you, Cranston? Why did I ever lay eyes on you?
8: Commissioner, you're not blaming Lamont for the flaming skull.
7: (sighs) Flaming skeleton now, Marco. No, I'm just complaining that he gets me mixed up in the screwiest crime. Now, there's nothing screwy
5: about this. Harrison was killed by a 38 caliber slug fired through that window. What could be more realistic than that?
7: Nothing, except that you claim a glowing skeleton finger pulled the trigger. We saw the skeleton, Commissioner. Oh, I believe you, Miss Lane. Too many people have seen it for me to hang on to that hallucination theory. I only wish I could see it for once. Commissioner. Yes? Commissioner. Yes, what is it, Cardano?
4: We've just picked up a flash from one of the patrol cars. Yes? Yes. They've spotted the flaming skull just breaking into the Zircon Jewel Store on State Avenue. He's in there now, and if we rush, we can get over there in time to trap him coming out.
5: Now, let's go, Commissioner. Maybe this time
4: you'll see the skeleton.
7: this Zircon Jewel store. How much further, Cardona? Just around the next corner, Commissioner. I only hope we're there in time.
8: Yes, I wouldn't want the Commissioner to lose the pleasure of meeting Mr. Skeleton.
7: Uh, all right, all right. Stop here, Cardona. We'll walk the rest of the way. Yes, sir. I can see the police patrol car up ahead.
8: Then Mr. Skeleton must still be inside the store.
7: Uh, come on. And remember, let's keep quiet. This is our big chance... Uh, commissioner, what a place is those maniacs! Hey, look, he's coming out. It's the flaming skeleton, commissioner. All right, hey, come on, let's go. Get uh, hold of you men! Don't let him get away. Now uh, they're shooting wild,
4: commissioner. Well, I can't blame them. Saints are alive, but that's a nasty thing to see in the dark. Get him away! Faster!
7: <laughs> uh, it's no use, commissioner. We'll never get him. No one will ever get him. Uh, don't turn superstitious on me, Cardona. Well,
5: Cardona's right, commissioner.
7: The skeleton's vanished. We we couldn't hold him, sir. We did the best we could. He. He got prey. Now, this is a fine thing. What's the matter with you nursery babies? Afraid of a skeleton? It's not that, Commissioner. It, isn't it, it obvious,
5: Commissioner? This flaming skeleton is a startling, bewildering sight. The shock of seeing it checks everyone just long enough to give the skeleton a few seconds leeway for escape.
7: That's it, Mr. Grant. Okay, okay. Let's get back to the Zircon store and see how much Mr. Skeleton got away with this time. Now, wait. Uh, what
5: now? Apparently, our thief didn't get away with all he took. Huh? Look on the ground here.
7: Well, Lamar, three little jewels.
5: I got him. Holy smoke! They're diamonds.
7: Diamonds that color?
5: Yes, Commissioner. They've turned blood red.
8: Oh, Lamont. Lamont. Yes. Stop pacing up and down and listen to me.
5: I got an idea. Mm-hmm.
8: Suppose we get some sleep. It's eight o'clock in the morning, Lamont. How much longer are we going to sit here and think?
5: Until I can figure out three things.
8: We're not going to go through all that again, are we?
5: Why was Steve Grant kidnapped? Why was Dr. Harrison murdered?
8: Because they knew something about the flaming skeleton.
5: But what? You know the
8: answer to that. You told me yourself. It's tied up with a photograph of the skeleton hand and the diamonds that turned red.
5: But why did those diamonds turn red? How was that photograph
8: Mary? I'm going home.
5: Only Harrison had taken Grant on as a patient. Didn't he? No, no. He told the shadow he couldn't treat him.
8: Oh, well, what difference does that make?
5: Well, if he'd taken Steve as a patient, he might have left a record of some kind. This way, his information died with him.
8: Oh, I'm going home.
5: Oh, uh, it's the door. I'll take it.
8: Who in the world could that be so early?
5: Oh, Mrs. Grant, oh, come Mr. in.
6: Mr. Cranston, I've just got to... Oh, this
5: is Miss Lane. She's working with me on the case. Margot, Mrs. Grant.
6: How do you do, Hello.
5: What's wrong, Mrs. Grant?
6: Oh, Mr. Cranston, I'm frightened. Why? The flaming skull. What about it? Oh, well, I think I'm going to be the next victim. You?
5: What makes you think so, Mrs. Grant?
6: I... I've had warnings. You've seen the skull? No, but I've seen the warnings. Mr. Cranston, since the night that Steve was taken, my whole house has been glowing. How do you mean that? Oh, when I put the lights out, objects flame up and glow with a weird green color. Steve's watch and the money on his desk, spoons, silver, many things. Golly. And then last night I decided I'd sleep in Steve's room. I thought if the flaming skull came back, I'd be waiting. Did you see it? Did it come back? Well, I didn't see it, but I know it was in the room. How do you know? Look at my arms. Oh, golly, they are covered with burns. Burns? Look, Lamont. It's as though a skeleton
8: hand had clutched Mrs. Grant, or were the hand of some mythological god like Thor. What? I said, like.
5: Yeah, you said Thor. Yes. Thor? What an idiot I've been. Steve practically told me the answer to this case when I first met him.
8: Oh, what do you mean, Lamar?
5: I mean, I know all about the flaming skeleton. Come on, Mrs. Grant. We're going to police headquarters.
7: All right. Now, what do you want me to do about Mrs. Grant, Cranston? Well, here's the setup. You're to
5: take Mrs. Grant into protective custody. It's to be kept a secret. Why? You'll find out soon enough. At 6 o'clock tonight, I want you to release this news item to the papers. I've written it out for you.
7: Well, not so fast, Cranston. Now, you're making me dizzy.
5: Now, listen, Commissioner. Do you want to get your hands on the flaming skeleton? What a question. Then do exactly what I've told you.
7: Then what in blazes are you going to do?
5: I'm going to trap the flaming skeleton.
7: In an attempt to protect the wife of Steve Grant, the police have taken Mrs. Grant into protective custody. She's being held under close guard at the old mansion house outside
5: the city. There, in a lonely building, set in lonely fields, the widow of Steve Turn Grant. Turn it off, Margot. Was... Oh, that's fine. What time is it? Eight o'clock. Then, Mr. Skeleton's known the news for two hours. He'll be here soon.
8: Here at the mansion house?
5: Mm, right. Under the misapprehension that Mrs. Grant is here, too.
8: But he's only going to find just us folks, just the two of us.
5: The three of us, Margot. You're forgetting the shadow.
8: Oh, say, shouldn't shouldn't you be the shadow now? Suppose our flaming skeleton walks in unexpectedly.
5: Well, he can't. We'll have plenty of warning of his coming. I've run a circuit of electricity in a circle around the field surrounding this house.
8: But how will that warn us?
5: Well, there are four concentric rings circling this house, Margot. Each is made of a single wire carrying enough current to signal when Mister Skeleton steps over it. We'll hear the signals on this electroscope connected with the circuits.
8: But wouldn't any person crossing those circuits cause the signal to sound?
5: Not any person, Margot. Just Mr. Skeleton. Why? Because of the peculiar constitution of his body, you see? Hold it. That's the uh, electroscope. Mr. Skeleton? Yes, he's inside the outermost circuit. He's inside the second circuit. He's inside the third you know what to do?
8: Yes, I, I'm supposed to put out the lights and hide in the closet alongside the switch. Right.
5: When Mr. Skeleton gets into this room, the electroscope signals will reach a peak and then cut off automatically.
8: And then I'm supposed to switch on the lights again.
5: Oh, he's inside the fourth circuit. Get moving, Margo. Lamont, I... Don't argue. This man is dynamite. Put out the lights. Right. I'll get
7: in the closet. Stand by. What's that? Who's there? Don't move. ha, ha, ha
5: evening, Steve Grant. Who's that? The Shadow.
7: The Shadow? I can't see you.
5: No man sees the Shadow. But all men see you, Mr. Skeleton.
7: You know Shadow?
5: The Shadow knows everything. You were a foolish man, Grant. A fool.
7: I was desperate. When Dr. Harrison told me I'd caught radium poisoning, that the salts were in my blood and bones, that death was waiting two months off, I... You
5: sought for revenge on the world? No.
7: No, I thought only of my wife. She had nothing. There was no money, no insurance, nothing. I had to raise something for her. I couldn't leave her penniless.
5: You had no right to rob.
7: There was no other way to raise money. You
5: had no right to kill.
7: There was no other way to keep my secret. I couldn't let her discover her husband was a thief. She would never have kept the money I was raising for her.
5: She will have no part of anything you've stolen.
7: For heaven's sake, you can't betray me.
5: The shadow seeks justice. Justice. There will be justice for your wife. But there must be justice for those you have robbed and those you have killed. No. No.
7: Listen, I'm going to die anyway. I'll pay for the deaths. Pay with my own. There
5: must be justice, Grant. You must give yourself up.
7: You'll never take me. I warn you, I've killed before. I'm not afraid to kill now. You're mad, Grant.
5: You must pay in full. No. (laughs) Can you, a flaming skeleton, kill an invisible shadow?
7: Wherever you are, I'll kill you. (laughs) Kill the shadow with what? Stop, Grant. You can't escape the shadow. Try and stop me. Stop, Grant. Shadow. Stay here, Margo. Keep out of this.
8: There he goes, across the field. You can see the glowing skeleton running. Keep back, Margo. Why? What's
5: wrong? Grant is running toward the high-tension wires on the road. If he gets too close to that tremendous current... Stop, Grant. Stop running. You'll never stop me. No one will never
7: stop me. If you value your life, don't move another step. Stop. Shadow. Yes, <laughs>
5: Margot. Yes, Margo. He's dead. Well, let's get back to town and notify Commissioner Weston, Margot.
6: Oh,
8: my, it was awful to be electrocuted that way.
5: Perhaps it's just as well, Margot. Fate simply anticipated the state executioner.
8: Lamar, I I can't understand it. What happened to Grant?
5: He was experimenting on radium salt called thorium.
8: Oh, that's why the mention of the god Thor put you on the right track. Yes, yes? Margo.
5: Grant apparently became infected with enough radium salt to poison him. When he first saw the flaming skull grinning at him, it was his own face he saw in the bathroom mirror. (gasps) Dr. Harrison must have explained the truth to Grant. Grant turned desperate and tried to raise money to leave his wife.
8: And he killed Dr. Harrison before the doctor could tell the police the truth about the flaming skeleton. Yes.
5: But I should have realized the truth sooner. Naturally, radium emanations are the only thing that can make a man's bone shine in the dark. Radium explains how Edward's photographic plate was exposed. Radium accounts for the diamonds that turned color. Radium emanations change the color of precious stones.
8: So when you had that news broadcast made about his wife being at Mansion House, you knew that it would trap him? Well, of
5: course. His only thought was for his wife. That's the explanation of the sound she heard that night he vanished. She heard poor Steve crying hysterically. When she got up and opened the door, she didn't see a skeleton kidnapping Steve. She saw poor Steve leaving.
8: Not poor Steve. Poor Mrs. Grant.
5: Don't worry about her, Margot. The shadow may be just, but he's also merciful.
8: The shadow is going to temper his justice with mercy?
5: Yes, and the name of that mercy is Cranston's bankroll.
3: with that laugh shadow careful you might scare somebody but quickly now let's go to the green room for a preview of our next production in a mystery playhouse follow me come come come
9: (laughs) well doctor what did you find out uh several interesting things Here in town and at the cottage. I'm sure the girl's all right. Uh, Quite pretty, too, eh? Well, cheer up. The mystery started before her time. Your pretty little miss and her railing father have been living at the cottage just ten days. The girl's name is Felice Marchot. She and her father are refugees. But long before that, a Mr. and Mrs. Turner lived there. Oh, yes? They kept to themselves a great deal. I see. Mrs. Turner, it seems, was not an American like her husband, she was dark. Exotic-looking, rather Asiatic, but certainly attractive. How long ago was this? Four months ago. <laughs> well, then what has they to do with it? Now, be patient. One day the turners left, I never came back. The cottage was then occupied by new tenants, but they soon vacated. Why? They claimed the cottage was haunted. <laughs> haunted? Yes. Does Philly say the cottage is haunted? No, but of course she's only been there a short time. But to get back to the Turner's... It seems they left very early in the morning. Yes. Nobody actually saw them go. Mr. Turner has been seen since. But I can't find anybody who has seen Mrs. Turner. Oh. I've even called Mrs. Turner's friends in New York... and no one has seen her. You mean... that Mrs.
4: Turner was... M-
9: can't be. No... Well, the influence of anyone at the point of death, especially a violent death, upon their surroundings is very strong. You mean those cries I heard? Precisely. I'm afraid, my boy, that you, and only you, can solve the strange disappearance or murder of Mrs.
3: Turner. (laughs) Do the voices of the dead come back? Perhaps you'll find an answer in a mystery of the blue jar. Until next time, then, this is Peter Lorre closing the doors of the mystery playhouse. Good night. Keep tight. the Armed Forces Radio Service.
0: The Shadow, and the episode, The Case of the Flaming Skull, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was a listener request coming to us from Mark. Thank you so much, Mark, for your request. I'll start this discussion with Peter Laurie introducing The Shadow I would like to let you know, Joshua, that you probably only have two wishes left. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it's Beer Lori speaking
1: in this hushed, reverent tone about the shadow. It's like some sort of OTR ASMR, kind of <laughs> strangely relaxing and stimulating at the same time.
0: <laughs> it's got to be your favorite episode of old time radio ever. You had to be in heaven. I... <laughs> I There's really a did. point where
2: he's talking about that the shadow is the person who is shot when he's invisible, but sometimes he's he's going to be made invisible permanently. That i like trying to track the logic of. You've wandered off script here. I think. <laughs> <There's> something went <laughs> wrong. I think so. And he's just like,
1: just
0: keep talking. Everything
1: will be fine. <laughs>
0: So, uh, Mystery Playhouse, uh, before we move on uh, to this episode of The Shadow, I understand that it's a repackaging Mm old-time radio uh, with Peter Lorre as the host. And it it struck me that that's not much different than what we're doing with this podcast. (laughs) Hello, creeps. Wouldn't it be
1: great if at the end Peter Lorre discussed this?
0: (laughs) Dan was okay, I guess. (laughs) If you like the channel. (laughs) there was a lot of tropes. It was lazy writing. (laughs) What I want to know about Mystery Playhouse, though, is they did nothing original. It was all just Mm -hmm. repackaged. The end of this was a rabbit hole for me because they mentioned the next episode was... uh, Oh, that was a lengthy preview. of Yeah, yeah. uh, the case of the blue jar or something like that. And then I was like, well, what is that? And then I found out, oh, it's an Agatha Christie short story. And then I found out it just recently became Public Public Domain. Domain. And uh, ready? I read it. What I know, I don't remember with any, your with like my eyes, eyes yeah. and your brain. All right, I'm lying. There's a podcast out there that uh, someone read it to me. <laughs> that would well be a done. great
2: podcast. Let's read things to Eric.
0: It was a pseudocast, I think, or pseudopod or something like that. It's out of England, and oh, they oh. they read short stories to you or something. I don't know, understand the podcast, but I listened to the guy read it to me. And I said, great, I don't have to read. All right, let's get back into this. The Shadow and the Case of the Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, wait. The Flaming
1: Skull. It's it, a very Batman villain.
0: Yeah. That's a, it's, it's basically
1: thing. like Walter White from Breaking Bad if he were a Batman villain. I totally was thinking like, ah, oh, this is Dr.
2: Phosphorus from Batman. And I looked it up and I'm oh, Dr. Phosphorus is from the 1970s. I guess it's not a Batman
1: villain. But the twist, it, it is, is a, a Batman, Batman villain. villain. Is probably the Batman villain Dr. Phosphorus was based on. Because radium wasn't as cool in 1970s as it was in the early yeah. 40s. Phosphorus was huge in oh, the 70s. So totally. knowing, knowing nothing about <laughs> phosphorus what you guys, sea monkeys,
0: <laughs> knowing nothing what you guys are talking about, <laughs> I wrote down in my notes as I was going along, trying to guess what was going on. I wrote it's phosphorus. I wrote phosphorus a number Ooh, of oh. times. I never came to radium, uh, but I thought, oh, that's what it is. It's got to be. He's dealing with phosphorus and he's glowing. Uh, when you look up, by the way, radium poisoning. The, Don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first two pages are called the radium girls. Oh yeah, you know the story that they would
1: I they didn't. painted the dials. Oh, that's the first you heard of it. And they first I heard of it. Little mustaches on their face, and oh. they would do it with and their they'd... makeup and their faces fell off from cancer. It's horrific.
0: It's horrific. They died horrific deaths. And
1: that's what this is riffing on I think mm-hmm. to a certain degree is that
0: by know, that time it was a popular story. I, not the details but the, yeah. The,
1: the it's a play story.
0: Mm-hmm. and I didn't know anything about it but I couldn't find anything on radium poisoning. The reason I was looking up radium poisoning is because I wanted to find out do your bones glow when you get radium poisoning? Why is this happening? And I couldn't find. I have a limit. Three Google pages and I'm done researching. If I, And it was three pages of Radium Girls. Good. We should know that story. I'm not ripping the Radium Girls. I don't want any emails. But I couldn't find out anything about radium poisoning. And does it make you glow? Anybody know anything about this? Or did they make it up for this episode?
1: I think this is a pretty exaggerated okay. episode of The Shadow. It's very comic book. And Alfred yeah. Bester, he wrote a lot of the episodes for this era of... The shadow. It's also the era that was reproduced by the Australian version of The Shadow. Alfred Bester is the one who wrote the sci-fi version of The Shadow that we listen to
0: mm-hmm. out of this world. Right. And as I've come to know, because I know you guys and you accidentally teach me things, <laughs> Alfred Bester is a big deal in comic book world, right? He contributed yeah. a lot of major characters to yeah. the DC comic I don't know, universe. He gets- necessarily credit for all the things he did but he did a lot of things and somewhere down the line in this podcast because you introduced me to him i ended up watching an interview with him from the 70s it was on youtube and it was about a half an hour at some early comic con kind of thing (laughs) wow yeah i watched the whole interview it was super weird he was weird he's weird dude
1: yeah our uh, patreon supporter david is a huge fan he might have shared that link
0: Oh, maybe that was it. Fine, I didn't find it myself.
1: <laughs> Clicked um, it. Totally but I think this it. is a far more successful and fun comic book style story mm-hmm. by Bester than Out of This World. Yes. yes. And we don't need to take an extra round of beating up on Out of This World, <laughs> but I will say that I like this story
0: a mm-hmm. lot more. It's, how do I say this without it sounding like a criticism? It's this It's bad. Is, um, <laughs> no it's a very typical shadow story there's a guy there's a thing well the thing is the shadow
1: ran for so long i don't know if there is a typical shadow story it's very typical of this era where the villains had a sci-fi element to them. i mean it's not a gangster or just a guy out to murder people for the money Mm -hmm. i think what elevates it to me is that tragic backstory That the villain realized he was poisoning himself at work. He's going to die, and he wants to leave money for his wife. And that's unlike anything I've heard in the chat. No, not unlike anything, but it's it's rarer.
0: I guess I'm never going to explain what's in my head on this. Somehow I just went, yep, 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 yep. Good. That was good. But Mm -hmm. that was very shadowy. In a certain sense. Scratched
1: and I the shadow itch you might
2: have had. Yeah, it was,
0: you know, there's a guy, he did some bad stuff, he found him, he got him.
1: It's a terrible band, don't go see him, shadow
0: itch. Oh. <laughs> but,
2: yeah, but the cover band, Lamont <laughs> Cranston itch, really
0: good. Will someone explain to me, yeah, <laughs> what was the reference she made to Thor, and why would you make that reference when there was a handprint on you? Like, oh, there's a handprint on me. Like the god of thunder Thor. What did she well, say? It
1: was a really stilted bit of dialogue to make Lavont right. Cranston realize Thorium, Thank which you. is named after Thor, which is ah. the connection to radium. It was his aha moment. Even oh, though no one would that. say that.
0: I got that, but that's the problem is no one would say, Hey, that handprint's like the mark of Thor. It's like you were
1: roughed up by Thor. We got a little look into like Margot's (laughs) (laughs) dream life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was very stilted forced. Yeah.
2: There was a a similar (laughs) again, but it's really awkward. I enjoy it. The very top when he's runs into this guy and like, Oh, let's quick exchange information. I was going to meet you. Like, Hey, how's the work job at the chemistry thing going? Oh, you're married. Could you stop giving exposition for like two seconds so I can actually talk to you?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, It's a great little atmospheric opening, though, with the thunderclap mm-hmm. and having them accidentally bump into each yep. other, standing under a doorway because of the rain, and it's just this picture you can really imagine for radio. Yep. Like you said, it's a pretty standard opening exposition conversation, but... It forces you to imagine it in this very colorful, specific way. And I was delighted with the uh,
2: hey, are you still an occult scientist? (laughs) (laughs) Chef's like, why, yes,
1: I am. I'm on my way to see you. Uh, I'm more of a man about town these days, but (laughs) I still dabble. (laughs) Uh, So I love Lamont's reasoning that Steve Grant wouldn't kidnap himself because, uh, you know, a man might cook up an ingenious scheme like this to leave his wife. (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> but he doesn't leave all his money, documents, and important papers behind. His wife on the trash heap. Yeah, right. flaming right. skull routine, typical leaving your wife. <laughs> you don't go, honey, I'm going to go out and get some cigarettes and a flaming skull. I'll be right back.
0: <laughs> Maybe a job that offers insurance. <laughs> a really good insurance that kicks in tomorrow. <laughs> the uh, commissioner in this episode... Uh, for some reason, he reminded me, and I could only picture the cop that Perry Mason is always dealing with in the Perry Mason TV shows. And I can't remember the cop's name. Do you know the old <laughs> guy that's always given him, like, oh, Perry's here again? Oh, what do you want? Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. Weston is particularly sarcastic and ineffectual. Troll. Yeah. But at least he's funny because usually he's ineffective in. He's not that interesting. Here, he's really quite funny. So I think he adds a level of entertainment right. value. If you're going to have an incompetent cop, he should also be an entertaining <laughs> <incompetent> cop. <laughs> we can't have accurate law enforcement at least right. some entertainment. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting is that Weston at the beginning is suspicious of the grants that they might be involved in this kidnapping themselves and I thought that was a really clever thing to pop in there early on because he turns out to be right he he isn't vindicated (laughs) No, it's not exactly right but because he has so many other wrong things he says in between but
0: Lieutenant Tragg thank you oh yes played by Ray Collins that's who I kept picturing Ray Collins a radio actor as well could it have been Ray Collins playing the commissioner because man it sounded like him and it but it's that same style, cantankerous, crusty, yeah. cranky cop. Makes Jade Jonah Jameson look like a <laughs> old softy. <laughs> old softy, thank you. Well, any other thoughts, well, gentlemen? Well, let's talk about
1: John Archer.
0: He was pretty generic. Yeah, I didn't get pulled out of my shadow enjoyment from his performance. No. So consequently, I thought it was great. Uh, halfway through, I forgot that wasn't Morrison or was any of the others. was just
2: the one thing for me, which was the laugh.
0: Yes, the laugh. <laughs> 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 Peter Laurie, what does he say? It was, "Hey, careful with that laugh shadow. You might scare someone." <laughs>
1: Probably not. <laughs> Uh, you know, he just plays them, though, as a pretty straightforward mm-hmm. human being. He's like a cop who occasionally turns invisible right, for no real purpose. <laughs> right. We've talked about this before, but like he interrogates the psychologist as the shadow for no real reason. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. He's a friendly witness, right? He, so mm-hmm. there's, there's <laughs> no reason to come to him right. as the shadow. Why are
0: you scaring the hell out it's of me? That I would have right told you right before the
1: commercial break, so right. he feels compelled. to he's like... Crap! I haven't been a shadow yet, <laughs> and so the poor shrink gets the worst of it. Right, he scares the. the and it Jesus has those out of
2: those weird qualities that go throughout Shadow that always jump out
1: at me. Of, mm-hmm. he of speaks like, of the shadow in the third person. Speaks
2: of the shadow in the third person, and like, oh, there's three of us, uh, and Margot has to just go, yeah, yeah, you're a friend, the shadow. <laughs> um. <laughs>
1: Does he go to restaurants <laughs> and say, how many will be joining you? Three.
0: <laughs> I'll have the filet mignon. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: this era myself. of The Shadow also has a very weird announcer who chooses to emphasize syllables in a strange way. Did you notice that or is it just me? When he's talking about the shadow turning invisible, he emphasizes, so they cannot see him. And the only person who knows to whom, it's like he maybe just got this one shot at being an announcer in the shadow, and he was going <laughs> to somehow really stand out.
0: Uh, what do you got, kid? What, you, what makes you different? Uh, I put the emphasis on the wrong syllables. <laughs> It struck me as kind I of strange. I didn't catch it, but uh-huh. I'll back you up on that. That was strange.
1: I also enjoyed how the script went out of its way to defend the cops who can't shoot the flaming skull. I like that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of interesting where it was like, he, I sympathize. Yeah. Like, oh, flaming skull. And that's how he's able to get away um, did, every time is that the cops are so shocked.
0: I did like that moment because the commissioner was mad at him. Said, are you guys scared of. Uh, flaming skeleton <laughs> and they're like yes we <laughs> like, are yes. and the shadow's like well
2: yeah and it helps take the edge off that cub quality of, of if people react to it not as the one level up from human of like oh it's a flaming skull more is it that's a really alarming disturbing thing to see
0: right mm-hmm. which I don't quite understand still why it was flaming and why we could see his bones but I'm gonna let it go
1: it's a comic booky exaggeration of science. You know why I
2: didn't give a second thought to because I've seen Doctor Phosphorus. I've, I've seen the drawings of what this is.
1: I see. Should we vote? Oh, I just want to mention the weirdly off line about justice is served, but it will be like tempered by Cranston's bankroll. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that was a little too real. Like, yeah, he's. It's a I great could buy, justice. <laughs> It's a great idea that Cranston's going to supply the money to the Flaming Skull's widow, but he's so pleased Laisse with himself. Faire. Yeah, <laughs> I got money coming out of my butt. <laughs> Flaming Skull's widow can have it. <laughs> <laughs> Little crass is what it came off Yeah, with.
0: absolutely. I just um, uh, got the image of money coming out of my butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wish.
1: <laughs> Theater of the mind, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. That's what it's like to be an ATM. <laughs> last legitimate comment about the shadow (laughs) i did for audio love even though it was kind of too intricate the concentric circles that the shadow set up to warn them of the approach of the flaming skull it was a great audio device and they were all had a slightly different tone so you heard the first one keep going after the second one was triggered and it
0: was just a really ominous nice piece of audio Yeah, I agree. There's a lot I do love about this. And as I'll just start a voty thing here, uh, (laughs) I think that it stands the test of time. It's a lot of fun, as always. It's the shadow. I love learning about the Mystery Playhouse and it being sandwiched by Peter Laurie. And then what does he say in the middle? (laughs) We're in a Peter Laurie sandwich. (laughs) Theater of the mind, ladies and gentlemen. What does he say in the middle? Like, oh, why do we have to oh, stop? Yeah. I, I can't remember yeah, the exact line. To, uh, I don't I, I get it, paid enough. Are they trying to
2: smooth over? The, like, there's not supposed to be a break here, but we're putting a break in here.
0: Can't, I wish i Because it's not a that.
1: commercial. It's just a reminder for the soldiers to use this mm-hmm. V-mail, which I did yeah. not know about, where they had to censor the soldiers' mail mm-hmm. and then... To save money, they would put it on microfiche right. and send it all off as photos. It was just a little bit of interesting history.
0: I, so yeah, I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Not a classic stands test times, yes, because it's shadow, <laughs> and it was as you guys say, it was a fun comic book right there. That was a fun comic book. Listen,
2: yeah, I, I agree that totally. That I think it, in fact, helps us stand the test of time, is
1: that it is so comic booky, mm-hmm. and comic books themselves have become even more omnipresent since then I agree totally with you guys I think it's um, not a classic stands the test of time really familiar structure but with a lot of little details that make it pop things mm-hmm. like the tragic origin of the super villain the characterization of commissioner Weston yeah I thoroughly enjoyed it much
0: much much better than out of this yeah. world <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you didn't call it a classic and the best radio show you've ever heard in your life it's Peter Lorre introducing I'm Judging
1: the Shadow. Peter Lorre a classic in everything.
0: Peter yeah. Lorre and the Shadow. I have the this on a thing...
1: loop. Peter Lorre talking about the Shadow. It's how I fall asleep. <laughs> the it's your
0: ringtone. The, a ring the <laughs> only thing better for you is if Peter Lorre played the Shadow. <laughs> that might be too much. Who knows what evil, person, <laughs> <laughs>
1: The knows. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, the home of this podcast. Other episodes can be found there. Uh, you can comment on episodes, vote for what your opinion was. You can also uh, get a hold of us through our social media links. Uh, you can just send us a message. Uh, it's a great way to let us know
1: what you think, as well as if you have an episode you'd like us to listen to, let us know. You can also go to patreon.com slash themorals and support this podcast at whatever level you deem appropriate. <laughs> um, you can also go to iTunes and write a review. We love reviews. Um, you could write a review of this one with a framing sequence from Peter Laurie. <laughs> I would love that so much.
0: <laughs> and if you want to see us perform live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theatrical Division, I guess is the best way to put it, but we do live We're recreations. We're really formalizing this organization. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah this, is, this is a bunch of guys um, up on floor nine. Uh, <laughs> you're in the morals building. Uh, we do live recreations of old-time radio from the golden age of radio, and we also do original scripts in the style of and uh, perform those right now Uh, if you are listening in 2020 we are at park square theater that is our home so please come see us in saint paul minnesota what do we got coming up next
1: next we will be celebrating the centennial of anthony ellis writer actor director from the old time radio era and we will be listening to the abominable snowman from escape until then
3: Hey, careful with that laugh, careful. You might scare
5: somebody.